Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather around your word today, may you shape us so that we might live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, help us today to take up our cross and follow you. And Holy Spirit, may you fill us today and cause your fruit to ripen in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Amen. It seems an absolute lifetime ago, but it was only back in February when one of the big news stories was the tragic death of the television presenter Caroline Flack. This followed some well-documented troubles in her life and over the next few days social media sites were full of one particular hashtag. Be kind. This was a reference to a message Caroline Flack had posted on Instagram back in December, which read, In a world where you can be anything, be kind. One fashion designer put those words on a t-shirt and it sold and raised more than £20,000 for the Samaritans. Stylist magazine said the campaign had been prompted by the sense that in the period leading up to her death, Caroline had been treated badly, unkindly. Fingers were pointed at tabloid newspapers, prosecution services, social media users, her bosses at ITV. And the hashtag was an appeal for people to wake up to how we're treating each other. We don't know all the facts about someone else's life. We don't know the struggles they're facing. So it was an appeal for greater kindness. Over the last few weeks, we have been reflecting on the fruit of the Spirit as described by an early Jesus follower called Paul, writing to some Christians in the ancient Turkish city of Galatia. He wrote, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And today we are thinking about kindness. Last week, Sue said that patience was an appropriate subject for our current times. Well, I'd say kindness is too. The thing is, patience, well, we'd all probably recognise that we struggle with that at times. But I imagine most of us would want to think of ourselves as kind. But a quick look at the comments section of a news article or Twitter or Facebook feeds suggests kindness is rather rarer than we'd like. And let's be honest, we could do with injecting a large dose of kindness into our political discourse. It would be fair to say that the art of disagreeing well is not as common as we'd like. But we need to be clear what we're talking about. 
Sometimes we mistake niceness for kindness. Sometimes we think we're being nice. Or sometimes we think we're being kind when we gloss over someone's inappropriate behaviour when we really shouldn't. Because that's not being kind. That's just being nice. Niceness tolerates others. Kindness cares about them. And genuinely caring about someone occasionally can mean challenging them when they're out of order. But kindness also takes care of how we do that. There's an old saying that just simply isn't true. You never have to be cruel to be kind. Trust me, if you're being cruel, you're not being kind. The word dwelt among us full of grace and truth. And both sides of that coin are important. Truth is important, but so is how it's carried and communicated. So what's kindness? Chris Wright, who wrote the study some of us have been following on Tuesday evenings, highlights some very important aspect of kindness. It's about being thoughtful towards others, about wanting to help, encourage, comfort and serve them. Kindness goes beyond duty. It's not doing something because you have to, but because you choose to. It might not be convenient, it might even be costly, but you do it just because it's the right thing to do, even if no one will notice and there will be no praise or reward. You do what, it's, what is kind for its own sake and for the sake of the other. And it doesn't have to be anything huge, a pleasant word, a caring smile. And little things can add up to a huge difference. Desmond Tutu said it well, do your little bit of good where you are. It's those little bits of good put together that overwhelm the world. If there's something the world could really use from the church right now, it's kindness. If God had an Instagram account, might he also be posting to us in a world where you can be anything? Be kind. I would say this variety of the fruit of the Spirit is one which if we developed, it would make us really stand out. Kindness is an active word. It involves doing something for the other and showing thoughtful love in action. As Lynn has already shared with us this morning, kindness is one of the main attributes of God. That song we opened with, which said, his love endures forever, over and over. That word was hesed in Hebrew. And it's very hard to translate. Sometimes it's love, sometimes it's mercy, sometimes it's steadfast love. Or another translation, as Lynn said, is loving kindness. And when it's used to describe people, as in this morning's reading, it's simply kindness. 
It's how God treats his creation, whether or not we deserve it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, God causes the sun to rise on both the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. When Paul, who wrote Galatians, preached in a city called Lystra, he told those listening that God has shown his kindness to them by providing rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He had provided them with plenty of food and filled their hearts with joy. And this was a people who had never even heard of this God. But it's also something that God wants to express through people. And this morning's main passage from 2 Samuel was an example of that. That word kindness crops up again and again. And there are a couple of things I want to highlight about kindness from that story. But there's a little bit of backstory to it. The story is set when David is pretty well established as king of Israel. But you need to go way back before that to when David was a shepherd boy who played harp for Saul, who was the previous king. Although he was just a court musician, David was gaining quite a following after going into battle against Goliath. And this made Saul very jealous. The prophet Samuel had also anointed David as future king of Israel. And we don't know whether Saul was actually aware of that. But either way, Saul saw David as a threat and he wanted him dead. But Saul's son Jonathan had formed a close friendship with David. And Jonathan may have been the heir apparent, but he recognised David as God's anointed and was willing to lay that aside for David to become king. In 1 Samuel 20, we read of an oath Jonathan asked David to swear to him. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father, but show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness. Do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. This wasn't a world where transfers of power normally went smoothly. When a king died, it wasn't always straightforward who would succeed them. There might be several people claiming it should be them. And they didn't have elections or conferences to decide. Often it was very bloody. When a king came to the throne, they tended to eliminate their rivals. And Jonathan wanted David to promise that when he became king, he wouldn't do that to Jonathan's family. Time passed. Saul and Jonathan were both killed in battle and David was crowned king of Israel. More time passed. Initially, David was preoccupied with Edomites, Philistines, Aramaeans and all sorts of other assorted peoples guaranteed to strike panic in anyone who's given the Old Testament reading in church. Now... David is more established. Things are settled down and David suddenly remembers that promise. David's court probably wondered when this question would come up. Seba, who had been a servant in Saul's household, had probably been waiting for the time when someone would finally ask. And they all would have anticipated 
the first part of the question. Is there still no one left of the house of Saul? But they wouldn't have anticipated the second half. To whom I can show God's kindness. Mephibosheth had probably lived in fear in Lodibar for years. He and all his loved ones probably dreaded the day that that knock would come on the door. Can you imagine how the fear built up as they left Lodi Bar and came ever closer to Jerusalem? Imagine the terror as the doors to the king's chambers open and he's brought into the presence of David, the man from whom Mephibosheth has been hiding since he was five years old. Let's face it, up till now, David has not exactly been famous for his commitment to the diplomatic solution. As he falls at the king's feet, partly in homage, partly to beg for mercy, and partly simply because he cannot stand. Mephibosheth probably didn't fancy his chance as much. And so you can begin to understand why David should have to start with those words. Don't be afraid. And then imagine... Mephibosheth's surprise as David outlines what he plans to do. Far from being humiliated, his father's memory was going to be honoured. Far from being killed, the previous king's livelihood and staff were going to be restored to him. Far from his family being cut off, they were being welcomed into David's family to eat at the king's table. And it wasn't down to anything Mephibosheth had said or done. It was because David had determined that he was going to bring kindness into the encounter. Because that's something about kindness. It's proactive. True kindness isn't dependent on how the other is likely to respond. Kindness refuses to allow the environment we're in to shape how we act. Because it's one thing to be friendly, open and generous when we anticipate the other's going to respond in a similar fashion or at least be grateful. It's another thing altogether to be friendly, open and generous when you could be ignored, taken for granted, perhaps even met with hostility. That's why kindness is a lot tougher than we realise. It's why Paul speaks of this type of kindness as a fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's not just something we work up in ourselves. It's the work of God in our lives as we open ourselves up to receive the love he wants to pour into our lives. David has no real control over how Mephibosheth will respond to his kindness. And if you read on in 2 Samuel, you could argue Mephibosheth doesn't exactly respond with gratitude. But true kindness isn't shaped by its environment or how the other will respond. True kindness is proactive. It's offered for kindness's sake. And the other thing is true kindness is transformative. It takes a guy who thought he was about to be humiliated and killed and treats him with dignity and honour. Look how Mephibosheth describes himself. 
Why would you notice a dead dog like me? And yet David doesn't despise or reject him. He is welcomed into the family. Four times in six verses, that same phrase crops up. He eats at the king's table. Charles Swindle offers a beautiful picture of Mephibosheth's life from that day. He pictures the dinner table at the palace. Mephibosheth is carried into his place and then in walks David's son Amnon. Handsome, clever, witty. Next comes Absalom, the long flowing hair, the pin-up prince of Israel. Next comes Tamar, David's beautiful daughter. And then Solomon, a bit late because he was preoccupied with trigonometry or something. And sat at that table amongst them all is Mephibosheth. And when he sat at that table, he's on an equal footing with a lot of them. Because that is what true kindness does. It welcomes and it transforms. And that's why the f kindness is part of the fruit of the Spirit. For it is one of the most important and powerful character traits of the divine. God's kindness is proactive. It's offered to us regardless of who we are, what we've done, whether we even believe. God's kindness is not shaped or determined by the environment into which it comes. God's kindness risks being taken for granted, ignored, even met with outright hostility. Because that's what true kindness is like. It's proactive, not reactive. The Paul who wrote Galatians also wrote about this kindness to the Roman church. He wrote, God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. Notice the direction of travel. It is not our repentance provokes God's kindness. It's his kindness is designed to win us to himself. It's a kindness that's extended to us to transform our self-worth. However we feel about ourselves, it's extended to us that we might be welcomed into his family, that we might know that we are precious and loved to him. So precious that Jesus laid down his life for us. So precious and loved that we are welcomed to eat at his table. And that's why we will meet on Zoom after this service and we'll share communion. Because we will be reminding ourselves of the kindness of God. Of a kindness that gives itself to and for us, regardless of whether we merit it or whether we even accept it. We are welcomed by God's kindness because it's not shaped by the environment that's in which it's offered. It is offered as a free choice. It's offered to us regardless of what we bring to our ta this table. Whatever lurks in our past, whatever fears we have of the future, however we feel about ourselves. We are invited to God's table before we had done anything. 
God proactively extended his kindness towards us and in kindness he welcomed us into his family that regardless of how we feel about ourselves, we might flourish. And so we eat bread and drink wine this morning. May we immerse ourselves, root ourselves once more in that narrative of just how loved we are. And may it flow from us as love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control and kindness. In a world where we can be anything, may we, as followers of a God of kindness, displayed most fully in Jesus, be kind. Grace and peace.